0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, I am so excited about all that God is doing all across all of our campuses. There's some exciting things is is, uh, Pastor Blake who he and his beautiful wife Savannah have been with us eight months they came from Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama it's the largest church in America and they left the largest one to come to the greatest one to come to the happiest city in America did y'all see that? in the top ten cities the happiest cities in America Lafayette was number one now I didn't say the healthiest city. There's a reason why they say fat and happy, all right? But what, what, a, what a joy it is. Well, I don't know about you, but maybe you, like me, talk to your TV. Do you? I, I know that it can't hear me. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm 64 years old, and, and I, I mean, as a kid, I really didn't talk much to my TV. As a matter of fact, I grew up pretty much in a different America than you grew up in. Even though I grew up in the hood, the hood better was, had better accountability at that point than most places in America today that are very nice. Well, what do I mean by that? How many of you grew up and you did lock the door of your house when you went to bed? Raise your hand. Look at those hands. Are y'all crazy? How many of you didn't lock your cars at night? Raise your hand. Are y'all out of your mind? Now we're gonna find the real crazy people. How many of you left the keys in the car and you didn't lock the doors? Can I? I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna really. This is really. I'm gonna date myself now. How many of you remember Gibson's? Okay, Gibson's was the forerunner of Walmart. Okay, in every community, Lafayette had a Gibson's. I first bought my first pair of hip boots at Gibson's in Lafayette. But I, first church I worked at was in Azle, Texas, right outside of Dallas-Fort Worth. And, and I, I, worked part, I worked at a church there, but I worked part-time at Gibson's because the church couldn't pay me. And so when you went to the Gibson's checkout, this is true, 100% true. There were two or three banks in town in Weatherford, Texas, a little small town uh, it was then probably, I think the population was the 12 or 1300 and they had checkbooks from each one of the banks. And if you didn't have your checkbook, you just picked up a check, wrote your name on there, filled it in and handed it to them. And it was as good as your own personal check. What happened to America? Well, what happened to the world where you could get on your bike? When I was a kid, come on. You got on your bike and you left and you rode around all day long? How many remember that? Okay. And and you rode around and came home for dinner and your parents weren't worried. What happened to that America? What happened to that world? How did it become what it is today? We began in this series on helping you understand a biblical worldview. That's the desired outcome of this series. Last week, Pastor Chris, didn't he do a great job? He did a great job talking about creation and the goodness of God. Today, we're going to go into step two. Last week was what went right Today, we're going to talk about what, went wrong, and why. I want to answer that question. Why is the world in the mess that it's in today? And I got a better question. Look right here. I want every parent and grandparent, if you're a parent or grandparent, raise your hand. Look at me. What kind of a world are we leaving to our children and our grandchildren? You want to leave them a 401k? You want to leave them a house? You want to leave them an inheritance? My God, what kind of world are we leaving them? And whose responsibility is it to change it? Let me assure you, it's not the politicians. Could Donald Trump change it? Could Joe Biden change it? Okay, look at me. Laughing or not laughing, it's not an issue of which politician that we elect. Something transformative has to happen, and it can't happen in the White House. It has to happen in your house and in God's house first. Okay, I'm glad you're clapping now because I just started. How did we get in the mess we're in? How did we get from you don't lock your doors of your house, you leave your keys in your car, you're not worried about anybody stealing anything from you? How did we get to that to where now many of you have titanium things where you put your credit cards in so that when you go in a crowd, nobody can scan your purse or scan your wallet? How did we get here? I want to show you today, and I want you to understand why it is so important for you to have a biblical worldview. I'm going to give you a mantra that we're going to use throughout this. It's a resonator that will help you understand. And I'm going to get you to say it, and then you'll help me through the course of the message today. Because the way you do it is the way you view it. In everything where is in life, the way we do it is the way we view it. The way we is the way we It's the way we view it. People are doing life the way they view life. How did we get to where we are today? When America began, we built America. America, our forefathers, look at the Constitution. Look at all the early writings. Look at the the preachers and pastors and leaders that all signed the Declaration of Independence. They began with a biblical worldview. Say that with me. A biblical worldview. A biblical worldview says certain things are right and certain things are wrong because God's word says so. And let me share something with you. When you obey God's word, you are under God's protection, you're under God's protection. It's not that you don't have loss, it's not that you don't have problems, it's not that you don't have struggles. Jesus talked about two different people that build a house. One built it on the sand and the other one built it on the rock. And the same storm came against both houses. One house collapsed, the one built on the sand, and the one that stood is the one that was built on the rock. And then Jesus said this, The one who hears these teachings of mine, these words, and obeys them will be like the one who built his house on the rock. I am going to go through storms. You are going to go through storms. All of us are going to walk through challenges with our children, challenges with health, challenges with our finances. But when I walk with God and build on the word of God, I'm going through the same storm, but I got a covering that's over me, protecting and hedging me about and keeping me. And so do you. So I want you to get that picture in your mind, because at one time, the world was like that. Even people, when I grew up, that were not God-following, were God-fearing. Like, you respected God, you respected the church. I mean, that's one of the things I love about Lafayette. People say, what's Lafayette like? I said, 1980s America. Like, people getting drunk when they drive by the Catholic Church and our church make a sign of the cross. Like, you are drunk. <laughs> They can't even find the right place to go, but they just, how many grew up doing that? Raise your hand. Don't lie. Now, here's a confession. Okay. I'm looking at you, so don't, uh... here's a confession. How many of you have ever done that when you were intoxicated? Don't lie. Raise your hand. Because you knew, man, I better get myself covered. (laughs) Why? Because even if you weren't God following, you were God fearing. That's a biblical worldview. And then the next step came really from the 50s to the 80s. And it was an abiblical worldview. A biblical worldview said certain things are right and certain things are wrong because God says so. An abiblical worldview says certain things are right and certain things are wrong because society says so. People told me, no, dude, you better not smoke that marriage you want, Don't you get pregnant and embarrass our family. And it got away From the power and the authority of the word of God. And when they did, they moved from that covering that God provides. An abiblical worldview says certain things are right and certain things are wrong because society says so. Then the third thing that happened from the 1980s to the 2000s, and that was an immoral worldview. Y'all might find this hard to believe. (laughs) But most children are exposed to pornography as soon as they're exposed to a cellular phone or a computer. Many of us that are over 50 years old, remember, if you wanted to get a Playboy magazine, you had to go up to the Circle K. You had to distract, okay, the elderly person that was working at the Circle K, like spill a spill on all three. And then as soon as that happened, your boy snuck over there behind the counter and there was a paper bag over the front of it. Any you remember that? Why do you remember that? I'm just saying, okay. And then you snuck it up under like here because you couldn't even get one until you were of age. What happened? Immorality. Certain things are right and certain things are wrong but I don't care. So we went from biblical morality, certain things are right and certain things are wrong because God says so. A biblical morality, certain things are right and certain things are wrong because society says so too. Immorality, certain things are right and certain things are wrong but I don't care to where we arrived at today. Look at me. Amorality. And amorality says there's no such thing as right or wrong, and who do you think you are to tell me what is? That's the world we live in. Isn't it true? There's no right or wrong, correct? There's not even male or female. When I was growing up, you know what? I would witness to people about Christ. You know what they would say? Oh, you know what's wrong with you? you? You don't believe in science. You just believe in the Bible. If you understood biology and not just the Bible, you'd believe like me. I'm now looking at those people going, You don't have a problem with scripture and the Bible. You got a problem with science and biology. That's a man. He got a tool. Okay? He's a man. If there is no right or wrong, and there is no truth, because all truth begins with God, and as his word has established this, the further we've gotten away from that, the further we've gotten away from all reality, we now don't know anything It's an absolute. Matter of fact, I don't know if y'all know this, but I'm identifying as Tom Brady. (laughs) Honey, it's going to be a good night. I know that I look like a six-foot-three Mexican preacher that's 64 that y'all know that y'all wonder if I dye my hair. Which I don't. My daddy's hair's this color and he's 91. Take that. He's been buried five times. If anybody's hair would have turned gray, it surely would have (laughs) been. Come to think of it, I just think everybody he married to, their hair turned to (laughs) gray. Look at me. Because if there is no right or wrong and there is no truth, then nothing matters but the feelings or the emotions of who you think you are. And that can change too. So I was a male, heterosexual. Now I'm a homosexual oh no I'm not I'm bisexual no I'm not I'm pansexual no I'm if your emotions determine what you are they're called emotions because the term relates to in motion it's always changing If you build on the world based upon this book and the foundations of which this book was founded on and this country was founded on, which is this, there is a truth that doesn't change. I want to ask every man here, what kind of a world are we leaving to your children and your grandchildren? So today, why does it matter what world view that you have? Because your worldview is determined by your view of the word. Your worldview is determined by your view of the word of God. Does this speak about sexuality? Does this speak about money? Does this speak about stealing? All element of morality. Okay, then if it speaks to that and this is where I came from and this is the foundation of everything that I believe, my opinion is irrelevant if the word of God says it's true and if I go against it, I'm lying. Look at me. I'm going to say to young people, listen carefully to me. Of course you're confused. Who wouldn't be? Boys going into girls' bathrooms? Two wives, two husbands, three husbands and a wife. Dear God, I've been married to one woman for 40 years. What man would want two or three wives outside of a night? Come on. And I got a great one. I hope every one of those people that do that, they're all on their cycle at the same time. Yes, I did say that. And I don't know where it came from, so it must have been God. I was under the umbrella when it came to me. <laughs> wow. I shared with you a few weeks ago that a survey was done among people that went to church to find out if they had a biblical worldview, and the questions were asked, what do you base your moral decisions on? What do you base your moral decisions on? Someone ask you that question. What do you base your moral decisions on? Okay, should I do that? Should I be with that person? Should I enter this business transaction? Should I say yes or no? Is this the truth? Should I take a double click? Should I drink that? Should I smoke that? In this case, there's brownies and gummies. Should I eat that and chew that? Why are you laughing so much when I say that? How do you know what I was talking about? Okay, what is the basis, okay? If there is not a foundational basis for your life, look at me, you might be a born again child of God dying and going to heaven, but because you're not living your life based on a biblical worldview, life will be hell until you get to heaven. When they ask that question, and I'm asking you, what do you make your moral decisions on? The majority of people said these three things. I make my decisions about, number one, what I think. Number two, how I feel. Number three, by the people around me and what they think. That's Christians. That's people that attend church. That's people that have asked Jesus into their life and forgiven of their sin, have repented and turned to Christ. Only 16% said, I make my decisions based upon what the Word of God says. Now, I want you to listen carefully to me because I love every... Say, say this with me real quick. Pastor Jacob loves me. I Say it again. Okay. Because I'm going to tell you this. If you come to this church, it doesn't mean you live under this umbrella. Okay. If you have a Bible beside your bed, it doesn't mean you live under this umbrella. It is if you take this book and you stand on it, and you build your life on it, then and only then are you under God's hedge of protection in your life. You ever been in a storm? Your view sure changes if you have an umbrella. Same storm. Boy, if you have an umbrella, you can see where other people can't see. You know where to stop. You know where to step. But if you don't have an umbrella, then it distorts every bit of your view. Now you understand why the world's in the condition that it's in. Today's message is entitled, The Adams Family. Da-da-da-da-da. 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 Da-da-da-da. 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 Okay, If you know that song, you need help. If you have your Bible, please open it to Genesis chapter 1. If you remember from last week in Genesis 1-1, it tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the creator. He created you. He created me. He created everything that we see. He created all that is there, and he did that for us. Why is this so important? Because whoever it begins with, it ends with. Let me say that again. Whoever it begins with, it ends with. You know the devil's willing to play the long game. You know what the long game is? He's willing to sow a lie right now that 50 years from now will take a whole generation out. Do you know what the first lie was? Look at me. The first lie happened early in the 1930s and 40s in the Scopes II debate over if this view of creation could be taught Or if evolution would be taught. You know which one, won? Evolution. So look right here. I know there's a lot of people that are much more educated in this place than me. So I want to help you. There's a vast difference between education and wisdom. Education is an accumulation of a lot of facts and a lot of degrees. Wisdom is being able to see the the life, the world, me, you, and everybody around you from an eternal perspective from the person that created every single thing that you see. That's why you have people with PhDs that are looking at a man going, that's a woman. Because they're not honest. And so for you and me, It is understanding the how of creation so that we can understand the who of creation. In Genesis 1, here's what the Bible tells us, that the earth was without form and without void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Here's an interesting thought. What does God do with darkness and chaos and confusion? Is there darkness in the world around us? Is there chaos in the world around us? Is there confusion in the world around us? So, what did God do? Watch this. God did something that we are to do if we want to bring order and light out of darkness and chaos. Listen to what he did in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Genesis chapter 6 and God Genesis chapter 9 and God Genesis chapter 11 and God Genesis chapter 14 and God Genesis chapter 20 and God Genesis chapter 20 uh, Genesis verse 24 and God 26 Then God Do you see a pattern here What does God do everywhere that he sees darkness and chaos He speaks his word because his word is what creates light and order and peace. Look at me. If you're walking in darkness in your marriage, in your relationships, in your family, it's because you're not speaking God's word to it and standing on God's word in it. You know, oftentimes people look at me and they say this. They say, Pastor, the reason you say what you say is because, I mean, you were raised this way. You were raised just living this way up under here. And for you, that's normal. And that's all you know. That's what's wrong with you Christians. If you were raised in a Muslim country, you'd believe what they believe. If you were raised in a Hindu country, you'd be worshiping cows instead of eating crackling. If you were, look at me, that is not true. As a matter of fact, I used to look at people that came from a normal family and wonder how can a mom and daddy stay together? It was on my way to my daddy be married five times. It was on my way to my mom being married two times, a man she married to my dad being married seven times, and she divorced him. It was on the way of seeing my four sisters pregnant 13, 14, and 15. It was on the way to seeing my older brother a drug dealer. It was on the way of seeing the chaos all around me that I wondered, is there an umbrella? Is there a hedge? Is there a place of safety, my God, that you can build your life on? Then I heard the gospel. Then I was born again and got up under this umbrella right here and began taking all of the chaos of my family and the multiplied generational junk of sexual immorality and perversion and heartbreak and heartache and transvest, blah, 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 the bisexual, all the stupidity that was out there through all that, and God brought order to my life because his word brought order order, and light to darkness and chaos, and it still does. In Genesis chapter 1, God began creation, and it says this, everything that God created was good, and then God created woman, and God said, it is very good, and every man said, just one, very good, just one. Go back to just one. The chaos can come up with two or three. Oh, don't act like me. Men are going, ha, He said it was very good. Everything God created was good. The heavens, the earth, male, female, everything in the world. In the beginning, the Bible tells us that everything God creates is good because God is Because God is good. But let's see what happens next. Then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the nods of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Imagine this Adam is in paradise. Come on, every daddy's dream here, every grandpa's dream is to leave your children or grandchildren an inheritance with a car and a house and everything together. That's God's heart. That's God. And that's what he created for man. And it was all good. But someone entered into the garden and another voice entered in. And this good, generous God who told them that they could eat of every tree except one except one look right here isn't it amazing how the devil can make the one thing you can't do look better than the million things you can should do this was god's world it was a very good world and Adam had one voice to hear, the word of God. But another voice entered the world. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? That just for a point of humor. <laughs> if Adam and Eve would have been Cajun. They would have ate the snake instead of the apple, and we'd be dill all in a much better place today. Eve is in the garden, and the devil comes to her, and it says, now the serpent was more crafty than the beast of the field. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? So let me just ask a question here. Who did God put in charge of the garden? Who did God put in charge of his wife? So i got a question. Why in the world is Adam letting his wife talk to a snake? He was to tend and keep it. Where was Adam? He was called to tend and keep the garden and to rule it. But Adam let the serpent strike up a conversation with his wife, and the serpent twisted God's word. It was no longer look at all you can do. It was now look at the one thing that you can't do. Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? God didn't say they could not eat of any tree. He just said they could eat of every tree. But the first step is the enemy distorting Adam and Eve in their worldview. It's them distorting the word's view. That's how. It began distorting actually what God said. Now, now that he's done that, Satan was not calling into question the existence of God. Isn't that amazing? The devil didn't come to Adam and Eve and go, there is no God. All of this popped up. You popped up here. Unlike the dishonesty of people today. They wouldn't look at a house and say there's no builder. They wouldn't look at a building and say there's no painter. But they look at the masterpiece of the earth and the masterpiece of humanity and declare there is no creator. How intellectually dishonest can you be? And now the enemy comes. And listen, he doesn't question the existence of God. What does he question? The goodness of God. God's keeping something good from you. God's keeping something good from you. I want every single person, if you're single, look at me right now. I want you to hear what I'm going to say right now real quickly. Look at me. I've been married 40 years. Sex is amazing. It's unbelievable. It's great. And I hope it happens soon for me. Look at me. When it's under the umbrella of God's way and God's time but I've spent the last 49 years of ministry for peop- with people that lived outside of that and the guilt and the fear and the shame and the heartache and the pain and the brokenness that comes from thinking God's keeping something good from you if you do it his way I just got the songs. That was for somebody here. <laughs> he was not questioning the existence of God, but the goodness of God. And listen to this. And now that he's convinced them, God is keeping something good from you. He's sowed doubt about God's character. Now he's going to sow doubt about God's word and deny it. Listen to what he says. And then he said, the woman said to the serpent, you may eat of the tree in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not, what? First, it's a doubt about God. Now it's completely denying God's word. It started with a doubt about God's character. Now it's a complete denial of his word. Eve's response And a paragraph is a paragraph with additions and omissions. She leaves out that they may surely eat of all the rest of the trees. She says that they can't touch the tree in the middle of the garden. God didn't say that. He said don't eat of the tree in the garden. Maybe Eve added and subtracted from God's word because she didn't know God's word. Look right here and listen carefully. I hear people, Pastor Chris hears people, Pastor Joseph, Pastor Buck, we hear people all the time, we say, are, are you reading your Bible every day? They go, well, Pastor, I'm really not a reader. Oh, you're not? So you don't look at Facebook? And you don't look at Instagram? And you don't look at TikTok? And you don't, yeah, but Pastor, that's got pictures. Well, ask your children, we can get you a Bible picture book. So you've never signed a contract for a house, and you don't have a life insurance policy, and you don't have a medical insurance policy, and you didn't sign any papers when you got your job, and you don't have a social security card, and you didn't get a driver's license. Of course you did. You're simply using that as an excuse to keep yourself from reading the most important word that's eternal, that created you, made you, and brings light to every area of darkness and peace and order to every area of chaos in your life. It's a lie of the enemy. How many unread Bibles are sitting beside people's beds? I want you to listen to what the Word of God says. Through these exceeding great and precious promises, we become partakers of his divine nature. You know what this is right here? Let me help you, Cajuns. This is a buffet. Boo! That's so much food it scares you. Buffet! This is a buffet! Buffet! These are the promises of God. This is the word of God that made you, created you, and when you read it, it becomes part of you, and the devil will do anything in the world. He will distract you. He will keep you busy. He will tell you you can't read. He will give you every lie in the world so that you don't become what God created you to be so that you don't see the world and speak darkness to that darkness with the light of God's word. The enemy is now completely distorted Eve's worldview. And it's about to get worse. Because look what happens in Genesis chapter three after they eat, after they eat and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife did what? They did what? So the God that they look for every day, they're now hiding from. The presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. They should have hid from the devil and reigned to God. Instead, they reigned to the devil and they're hiding from God. But the Lord called Adam, the man, and said, Where are you? Now, listen, when God asks you a question, it's not because He wants information, it's because He wants you to know that He knows already. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was, I was what? Say it loud. Because I was naked, and so I hid myself. So the people that were the recipients of all of God's goodness in the world that he created, and all the good things that he created, are now hiding from the one that loves them the most. And they're ashamed and they're afraid. Look at me. When you live a life outside of this right here, God's Word and His umbrella protection, you do live li- with fear and guilt and shame covering your life. You do. How many of you can testify that's true? It's true. And we hid, and we hid, verse 11, and he said, who told you, Adam, that you were naked? Did you just look down for the first time? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat of? And the man said, come on, ladies. Yeah, some, we hear that in counseling all the time. Why are you here? The woman. Who did it? My wife. Isn't it amazing? Look at me. Who did God put in charge of the garden? Who was in charge of the wife? Who was in charge of protecting her? And who is he blaming now? Eve. Hiding from God. Life is simple. Remember this. The way you do it is the way you view it. And the God they ran to, they now run from. Their worldview has changed. He was to be obedient. He was to be the leader. He was to be in charge of tending and running anything out, including the snake. But instead of running the snake out of the garden, the snake ran them out of the garden. And when they ate, God put them out. Look right here, man. I love you. God puts you in charge of your family. You can't blame your wife. You can't blame your kids. When you stand before the living God, he's going to look just like he will at me and go, Jacob Aranza. And I'm going to say, yes, sir. And each one of my children are going to come up before. And the authority and the responsibility I had to do everything I could to keep my children up under this hedge and to train them with this book right here. Daniel Webster, who wrote Webster's Dictionary, said, the most awesome and fearful thought I have ever had in my life is that one day I will stand before the living God and give an account for myself. All of us will. All of us will. So now, instead of Satan being cast out, as he was cast out of heaven, he should have been cast out of the garden. Now Adam and Eve have disobeyed him. Fear, guilt, and shame have come. And now it's cost them living and from living in the presence of God. And has cast them out of the garden. Listen to what Paul says happened. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, so death spread to all mankind because all have sinned. Paul is saying that when sin came into the world through Adam, it means That God holds Adam responsible because of death and sin and every person will die both physically and spiritually because we were created to live forever. Ever since that moment, humanity, humanity is sinful and fallen from God. To quote a rap song, we are naughty by nature. All of us are until we're born again. The moral decay of our world is a direct result of their disobedience to God and his word and their view of the word. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you know areas of your life and people you love where there is darkness and chaos? What do we need to do What do we need to do in every one of those areas? Look at me. If I could get my piano player to come up, we need every one of those areas of our life to get back under the word. As I close now, I want to close on a personal note. By God's mercy and grace, and it is God's mercy and grace, Four of our five children are teaching or preaching the gospel. One of our children went home to be with the Lord on this day six years ago. He's in heaven. Wesley Ravenhill at 20. It isn't that we haven't walked through the storms of life. It isn't that all of our children were raised with a Bible in their hand, and that's all they ever wanted. Some of them wanted a Bible. Some of them wanted gummy bears. Some of them wanted other things you smoke and walked through that. But look at me. We built on this word. We built on this word. And when you build on that word and you keep under that catch, even when the enemy wants to pull you out to take control, even when he wants to pull you out to do something in the flesh, even when he wants to push you out to manipulate and control, if you will stay right up under here, then under here is everything God promised you. Everything God promised you. Your word view determines your world view. People ask me, Pastor, who do you choose to do business with? I look at this book first and how much of it I see in their life. Pastor, who do you want your children to marry? I look at this book right here. And however much of this I see, Pastor, how are your children? I look at this book right here and I see how much of this is in their life because heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. will never pass away. You say, Pastor, why why are you so personal? Because I don't want you to think that we're perfect because we're far from it. Far from it. But this is... (laughs) And the more I build my life on this, the more it changes everything. It changes everything. My children won't have a daddy that's been married five times. They just have a daddy that's produced five preachers. Why? Because the way you do it, is the way you view it. What's my opinion about abortion? It's right here. What's my opinion about life? It's right here. What's my opinion about sexuality? It's right here. God created everything that is. It all came from him. Therefore, he alone has the right to give the final word on all that is. Look right here a moment. Does this give you security to know that you can build your life on something that's not going to change? Yeah. We need this so that we're not that 16% that come to church but live our life on values that are not grounded in this word right here. Father, today, we thank you for the power of your word. Day. it is through these exceeding great and precious promises that we become partakers of your divine nature we were born again by the uncorruptible word of God it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path it's health to our flesh and life to our bones it's light in every air of darkness in our life it's truth that exposes every lie in our life Today, we honor your word, the precious word of God, unchanging. Would you just open up your hands on your lap? Heavenly Father, today, we want to live under the umbrella of your protection. We want our worldview to be the word's view. Give us a hunger for your word and a hunger for your truth. I pray for every family here that, like me, is breaking generational curses, generational curses and bringing safety and peace to chaos and darkness. I pray for every precious person here that received a godly legacy from their parents, that they would, too, build on that unalterable word of God and the umbrella the hedge of your protection. Strengthen them. Holy Spirit, empower them. And now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, Don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? You heard me say, all of us are naughty by nature. All of us are in Adam until the moment we're born again. Every person was born spiritually dead here in this room. Mother Teresa was born spiritually dead. Billy Graham was born spiritually dead. And so were you and me until the day we're born again. Have you been born again? When Christ comes to live inside you and you turn away from your sin and you move under that umbrella of God's protection and begin building your life on the word of God in relationship with Jesus. Today, you can be born again. Jesus said, unless you were born again, you wouldn't see the kingdom or inherit the kingdom of God in John 3.3. 3, Jesus said that, not me. Have you been born again? Pastor, how can I do that? It's as easy as ABC. A admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. That he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. And see, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to count to three in just a moment. On the count of three, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. Would you pray for me today, Pastor? That's what I want. I want to turn from sin and be born again today. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and I'm going to pray for you right at your seat, right where you are. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. But today's your day. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. Nothing. Even the things that happened in your life leading to this week and today. Today's your day to begin your spiritual journey of being born again three. If that's you, lift your hand high. I'm going to pray for you. Lift it high. One, two, three, four, five, six. Keep it high. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Okay. You can put your hand down. Last time I'm going to ask, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these eleven, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. If that's you, I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. Raise it and wave it at me. I'm asking this next time just for you. Join these eleven. Wave it at me. Twelve. Yes, I see that. Anywhere else? Anywhere else? 13, 14, yes. You can put your hands down. Church, let's pray out loud with all of those that raised their hand to be born again today. Let's pray out loud together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.